Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, October 19, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Matt Norlander is here with me. I want to talk to him in just a second, but before we do that, let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online can be a, a complicated deal, but it doesn't have to be not with SeatGeek, and that's because uh, what SeatGeek does is is it searches multiple ticket sites for you. That way you know you're getting the best prices, best seats, best value. Find what you want. Two clicks later, really, just two clicks later, you're buying tickets. Easy peasy. For instance, let's say you're trying to go to the World Series, uh, which the Red Sox advanced to last night with a win over the Astros. All you got to do is once the matchup is set, just go to SeatGeek. Type in World Series. Your option's going to pop up. Pick your seats. Buy them suckers in a matter of seconds. It's simple stuff. When my wife and I... I went to see Jay-Z and Beyonce a few weeks, uh, a few months back, I guess it is, now back in Atlanta. You know, I got our tickets via SeatGeek. 12th row on the floor at Mercedes-Benz Stadium down in Atlanta. Great seats, and yes, I paid a lot for them. But on the day of the show, no lie, tickets two rows behind our tickets were going for three times what I paid. So next time you need tickets to anything, concert, sporting event, Whatever, open that SeatGeek app on your phone and get after it. And don't forget to use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's promo code COLLEGEBB because if you use that, if you're a first-time buyer, you're going to get $20 off your SeatGeek purchase. $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you got to do is use promo code COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. So I've been on the road all week, first in Fort Lauderdale with Norlander, Cal Boone and the entire CBSSports.com college basketball team. Then I went up to Brooklyn, MC the A-10s media luncheon yesterday. Got home late last night, and so we haven't had a chance to actual to actually sit down and record a podcast this week. Apologies, but we're here right now, and a whole lot has happened. The federal trial has had its closing statements. Uh, Kansas assistant Curtis Townsend is on a wiretap, insisting Kansas will pay for Zion Williamson, and yet Duke still got Zion Williamson, so that's interesting. Meantime, Bill Self, via text message, appears to be rationalizing Kansas cheating because he thinks Duke, UNC, and Kentucky also do it, or at least T.J. Gasnola added Kentucky also does it uh, via Nike. Jim Gatto's lawyer has said that Bill Self knew Adidas bought Silvio D'Souza, and Will Wade, the LSU coach, on a wiretap, seemed to claim he's willing to cheat to get a class of 2019 prospects. So there's a lot to unpack here. We're going to talk about it all, plus the fact that uh, the NBA has announced that select prospects going forward as early as 2019 can get G League contracts straight out of high school for $125,000. Plus, we're going to try to get into our list of the top 101 college basketball players in this country. We're going to get to all of it, I think, I promise. But first, let me ask Norlander what's up with it. Norlander, what's up with it? What's up with it, GP? Good to see you. Some good, uh, some good meetings down there. We are definitely fired up and ready for the season. Um, but uh, you know, for as excited as we are for the season to come and the content we've got uh, ahead in the in the coming weeks, including my one to three fifty three rankings. We now have three hundred fifty three teams in college basketball, up from three fifty one in recent years. The trial really did continue to dominate the headlines this week, as it should. You and I both wrote stories, wrote columns on what had happened here, and I guess GP, take this in chronological order, just to kind of set it up as as we learned it throughout the week, because there's a lot to get to here, and obviously it stands to be. To me, the most interesting, if not impactful, week of the trial, and there's been three weeks because of the fact that uh, you had the wiretap between Merle Code and Kansas assistant Curtis Townsend, what the defense uh, lead defense to hurry for Jim Caddo said in his closing arguments on Thursday. But um, but you want to take it from, from the start, from Monday, as we learn things and has, as this week unfolded? 
That's exactly right, because there's a lot to, to get to, and I want to stay focused topic to topic to topic to topic, and I think the best way is just to discuss it in chronological order. Like you mentioned, on Monday, um, it was a big day in the courtroom. You and I were both flying uh, to Fort Lauderdale, and I got uh, trapped in Atlanta for a little bit, but at some point, it was tweeted by either Dan Wetzel or Adam Zagori or somebody else in the courtroom, uh, a... Uh, text message exchange between TJ Gasnola, the former Adidas consultant slash bagman, bagman, and would be awesome if he was also Batman in addition <laughs> to a bagman, but he's not. He's not. And it was a text message exchange between TJ and Kansas Hall of Fame coach uh, Bill Self. The gist of it is that this was three days before Adidas was about to announce a 12-year extension with Kansas's athletic department. Um, but it was already done. The deal's done, and they're going to announce it in, in three days. They did announce it in three days. And so TJ sends Bill a text message basically saying, hey, thanks for your help or whatever role you played in it. And Bill uh, Self replies, again, according to a text message exchange read in court, uh, he said, just need to get a couple of real guys. TJ replies to that by saying, in my mind, it's KU, Bill Self, everyone else fall into line too effing bad. That's what's right for Adidas basketball, and I know I'm right. The more you have lottery picks and you happy, that's how it should work in my mind. Bill Self then replies, that's how it works at UNC and Duke. Gasnola then answers that by saying Kentucky as well, and then he adds, I promise you I got this. I have never let you down, except with DeAndre, LOL. We will get it right. So that's the entire text message exchange, and admittedly, it's it's without context, but what I think most reasonable people would conclude from that is this. What you have is a bag man who's already admitted to paying multiple families uh, under oath um, saying that, hey, you're our primary program. You're Adidas flagship. As far as I'm concerned, I'm here to help Bill Self. I'm here to help Kansas. Everybody else can fall in line behind you. Bill says that is how it works at UNC and Duke. The implication being, hey, Adidas is going to help me uh, get out there and get some quote-unquote uh, couple real guys? Well, that's how it works at UNC and Duke. Nike helps them get real guys. Um, and then TJ says, and it works at Kentucky as well, meaning uh, Nike helps Kentucky get real guys. And then TJ throws in at the end, I promise you I'm going to do this. Um, I've never let you down except with, with uh, except for when it comes to DeAndre, which suggests that Bill Self had to know that uh, TJ Gasnola was out there working to try to get DeAndre Ayton, uh, the, who, the, who subsequently was the number one pick in the NBA draft, uh, was working to try to get him to Kansas. And TJ testified last week that he had paid a friend, specifically the legend Larnell, 15 grand to try to curry favor uh, with the Ayton. Uh, family. And Norlander, uh, in fairness, I'll give you an opportunity to reject any of that. Uh, I have it basically right. Basically right there. And what Gasnola is saying in so many words to self on that text message and what he essentially verified on the stand under oath in court is that Nike and Under Armour uh, work in ways, perhaps not identical ways, perhaps through through different uh, means, avenues, and channels as what Adidas was trying to do. And, re and uh, I think a key piece of context with all of this that I think we might have mentioned on the previous podcast, but if not, I'll bring it up here. You know, Gasnola was brought in specifically because Adidas 
or at least he was eager to be this role of a of a bagman who also, by the way, owned you know ran and operated um, a grassroots team, the New England Players. Because Adidas had lost ground in the recruiting space, it knew that it did. It knew it wasn't acquiring enough players that were setting up its future pros uh, and getting them to Adidas-sponsored schools. So Gasnola was brought in to be part of that, and obviously he had other help in the quote-unquote. Black Ops group that uh, that Adidas had, where it was, you know, Merle Code, Jim Gatto, um, and by proxy, Christian Dawkins. So what you have self saying there is, listen, you've got these other big schools, Duke, Kentucky, Carolina, and the Nike machine is behind them. Obviously, what self is texting here falls short of, of truly implicating evidence, but the whole context of the conversation submitted into evidence and, and displayed in court um, – brings to light what Gasnola was willing to do specifically because he brings up DeAndre Ayton, whom he tried to get uh, Ayton's mother housing, permanent housing, and a job in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, in an effort to get DeAndre Ayton to Kansas. That failed. I'll remind listeners that Ayton was considered an overwhelming, I mean, among the most overwhelming uh, projections for a top five player in a class to go to a certain school Aiton going to Kansas was that, and then the Arizona pick was a fairly big stunner. And as we'll see with other instances of players who've been caught up in this, Brian Bowen to Louisville, stunner. Zion Williamson to Duke, definitely a stunner. Even though it's Duke, they were not considered a front runner, first or second or third or any of that heading into that. So that context of that conversation brings more skepticism to self. And as we're going to get to, the fact that one of his assistants – uh, was caught on a wiretap discussing Zion Williamson's recruitment and the circumstances surrounding that recruitment very much running parallel to the circumstances that sur- surrounded DeAndre Ayton's nefarious recruitment. That is what is so troubling if you're a Kansas fan, and it's why the NCAA, in my opinion, inevitably has to seriously investigate Kansas. It's why sanctions could be coming because, because again, the stuff that is brought up in court is now a matter of public record, and the NCAA, per its own rules that got changed earlier this year, is allowed to take that evidence and use it toward its own adjudication. So that text message exchange is um, made public in court on Monday. And I decided to write a column about it because it's obviously significant news, if, if only because you've got uh, a Hall of Fame coach on a wiretap saying, yeah, we're going to do this. And you know what? It's no different than what another Hall of Fame coach at UNC. It's no different than how he benefits. Another Hall of Fame coach at Duke. It's how he benefits. And then TJ Gasnola says, oh, don't forget about the Hall of Fame coach at Kentucky. It's how he benefits. So uh, we've got a text message exchange between um, Bill Self and TJ Gasnola that, that, that mentions three other blue blood programs. That's perfect stuff for a column. So I start. So the, the, the basic of the co- basis of the column is like, uh, this is the most interesting stuff from from the day because essentially, and again, this is the way I read it. I'd invite anybody to read it differently, but I don't think you can unless you have biased eyes. Um, it, it is a Hall of Fame coach rationalizing cheating because hey, we ain't doing anything Nike ain't doing. We ain't doing nothing that Nike's not doing for Duke for North Carolina, and for Kentucky. Now, I'm not, as I wrote in the column, sitting here and going to pretend to have proof that Nike has has done this exact thing that Adidas was willing to do and did do for Kansas for UNC or Duke or Kentucky. But what I can say is that we know via reporting from the Oregonian that Marvin Bagley's father um, made a lot of money 
through Nike while Marvin Bagley was a high school prospect. And Marvin Bagley did end up picking uh, one of uh, Nike's uh, biggest brands. Perhaps that was just a coincidence. Um, but everything I just said is true. And so I write the column just saying, like, you know, in in that text message exchange, what Bill Self says is, like, this is the way it gets done. And, and I think he's right. I do think this is the way it gets done. Because for years, this is the way people had heard it gets done. And it was almost acceptable behavior in the sport. As crazy as that might sound on October 19, 2018, it was almost acceptable behavior in the sport. I can't tell you how many times I heard a coach say, ah, you know, it's just Nike. You know, and a Nike kid picked the Nike school. What are you going to do? Or, hey, Adidas is out there working for an Adidas school. What are you going to do? Or, hey, Under Armour's out there working for an Under Armour school. And, yeah, you know, that's just sort of how the game worked. In fact, and I encourage anybody to Google this. Google Gary Parish, Mark Turgeon, College Park, Mellow Tremble. It'll probably pop up there. I went to Maryland a few years ago and wrote a story about, you know, Mark Turgeon sort of off the hot seat, but what it's like to to live on the hot seat. And he was great, very candid. I think the lead was something along the lines of, you know, he was riding with his son, his teenage son one day, and his son looked at him and said, Dad, you know, are, are you going to get fired? And he said, that's a hard thing to hear from your son because what your son's basically asking is not whether or not you're going to lose your job, but like, are we going to have to move again? Am I going to have to leave, leave all my friends? And it's just like, it's just a, it's a rough deal. When your job security is such a public topic of conversation. For instance, if my job's in jeopardy or your job's in jeopardy, most people don't know except us. And even in that case, we might not know. But when it comes to college basketball coaching, <laughs> there's actual list, <laughs> a hot seat list. One that, that Matt published recently that says, hey, you, hey, this guy might lose his job come March or April. And so, you know, he talks about that. But at some point in the story, I talk about, like, why he came to Maryland. And one of the points he made, he said it was a top five reason, the Under Armour affiliation. Because he knew at Texas A&M, he was always well down the totem pole when it came to shoe company affiliation. But at, at Maryland, he'd be the number one priority for Under Armour. And he knew Under Armour would help him. And he, you know, the quote in the story is, and I'll never apologize for it. Because what Mark knew is... What a lot of people knew. Nike's helping Nike schools. Adidas is helping Adidas school. You know what? Under Armour is going to help me, and I'll never apologize for it. And what we've found out in this, you know, over the past year, the federal government has subpoenaed Maryland for paperwork. And, you know, according to at least wiretaps and, and testimony, uh, you know, a Maryland booster had paid uh, Sylvia DeSouza's guardian to get him to go. Uh, to Maryland. So to me, this was the most interesting stuff, and I wrote it that way. And almost immediately, um, the backlash from Duke fans, Carolina fans, and Kentucky fans came. And I realized, and I didn't notice this in advance or anticipate it in advance, but it makes sense with the benefit of hindsight. I might have written, Norlander, tell me if I'm wrong, might have written the uh, first column in the history of columns that angers Duke fans and Kentucky fans and North Carolina fans and Kansas fans. Because um, usually when you write a a column that's going to anger Duke fans, Kentucky fans are going to love it. North Carolina fans are going to love it. You write a column that Kentucky fans are going to hate, Duke fans are going to love it. Kansas fans are going to love it. But they all hated this one. And um, the the question I got over and over again is, why couldn't you just write about Kansas? Why did you want to rope all these other schools in? And if you allow me to answer that question, I will. I'm just not going to go back and forth with a bunch of anonymous, you know, wacko fans on Twitter. It's just I, some people do it. I just choose not to. Um, 
but I'm happy to address it here. Like, what fans wanted me to write was, oh, here's Bill Self caught cheating. We had talked about that last week. Go listen to last week's podcast or any radio uh, segment you heard me do on this topic. It was pretty clear from the previous week's testimony that Kansas had been cheating its balls off. And I actually said you'd have to be really naive to think that Bill Self and his staff weren't aware of what TJ Gasnola and Jim Gatto and everybody at Adidas were doing. I had said that. We had talked about that. What was I supposed to write on Monday afternoon? Hey, here's even more stuff that makes it look like Kansas was absolutely cheating. Like, we've been through that. Who could read that text message exchange and think that Bill Self wasn't aware of what TJ Gasnola was willing to do and possibly had done already for him, at least as it relates to DeAndre DeAndre Ayton? There's nothing new there. Uh, The truth is that the interesting aspect of this was, you know, you have a, a, a guy who is, I don't know what Bill's title is, but he works on that committee that, like, makes rules, right? It's he and Phil Martelli, am I correct? Yeah, Bill is outgoing on that, but he has been he has been part of that, yes. Yeah, so you've got a guy who's like in the actual rule recommendation business, a guy who's won a national championship, a guy who's one of only six active Hall of Famers, uh, basically incriminating himself, but also saying, this is what happens at Duke, North Carolina, and then TJ Gasnola says, oh, don't forget about my old buddy John Calipari. It's also what happens at Kentucky. That That was the most interesting thing from there. And somehow, you know, it gets twisted into you're just staying away from Bill Self. I had talked about Bill Self at length the week before. And then you get all these, like, wild people speculating as to why. And I don't know really where it started. I I think I can probably guess. But I got maybe 100 people saying that I didn't want to write about Bill Self because he's my drinking buddy at Hooters. I, I don't think, just for the record, and you guys can post this on your favorite message board, um, I don't think I've ever been to Hooters with Bill Self, ever. I remember one night at the Hooters in Augusta, at Norlander, I believe you were there. It was me, you, a couple other people, maybe Bob Huggins, uh, Mark Fox, Steve Forbes. Do you remember that night? Andy Kennedy, I do. Andy Kennedy, right. But it wasn't uh, Bill Self. Like, Bill Self is not my drinking buddy, which is what has been alleged. Like, there's this, there's this uh, con- like, uh, cons- like, I don't know what to call it. Not a conspiracy, but just like a theory among, uh, primarily it, it appears to be Kentucky fans, that the media is scared to write about Bill Self because Bill Self's everybody's drinking buddy. Like, I can count on maybe a, a three fingers how many times Bill Self is, I, I don't even really know if how many times I've sat at a table and drank with Bill Self. It's like just, it's just uh, fantasy. It's just not true. And beyond that, like, go listen to the last podcast. I, I talked about Bill Self and the, um, the, 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 that and how the testimony that had come out in this trial seemed to suggest you'd have to be really naive to think Kansas was a not cheating, but b uh, that the the staff wasn't aware of it. So like that's the truth behind that story and why I wrote that column. There is no conspiracy. Um, I had another guy say that because I live in Memphis, I wanted to rope Kentucky into it because Memphis is recruiting James Wiseman. It's just bananas. Like I didn't, I swear to God on my youngest son's life, who's supposed to be uh, not even here. He's a miracle. Um, I never thought about James Wiseman once while I was writing that column. I wrote the column for exactly the reasons I stated. And um, the idea that it can get, that, that uh, large fan bases can believe what somebody tells them when it's just like completely made up um is just wild to me but it shouldn't 
it shouldn't be surprising. Uh, hey, fans are fans, and you managed to to piss off uh, for the biggest ones here. Um, I want to tie up the Bill Self stuff on this portion, so we don't have to double back later because we still got to get to his assistant Zion Wade and stuff. So here's another interesting aspect with all this. I want to try and put a little bit of context into how we got to this point. On Thursday, the defense makes this closing argument. And he gets in Michael Schachter, the lead defense attorney for Jim Gatto, uh, starts making his closing arguments. Here is what he said, and this quote is from Mark Schlabel of ESPN.com, who was in the courtroom and, and covering it for that outlet this week. Schachter said, the evidence I submit shows that Kansas's head coach knew of and asked for a payment to be made to Silvio D'Souza's handler. More than that, Coach Self requested just the kind of help that Mr. Gasnola arranged as a condition for Coach Self to permit Adidas to continue their sponsorship agreement with the University of Kansas. You have Schachter saying something here in front of the jury that Gasnola, under oath, directly refuted. And that has to be brought up and addressed here because, frankly, you can think Bill Self is the biggest cheater in college basketball. You can think Bill Self is completely innocent and all of this has been overblown. But what Schachter did here was, I wouldn't say he threw a, a skunk into the jury, as, as the, the saying goes in those circles, but I think it came pretty close because Gasnola was repeatedly asked if he ever told Self if you ever thought Self and his staff knew that Adidas uh, was making these payments to these players, Gasnola said no. He 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 objected to the idea of that and testified explicitly against it. Well, Schachter is coming out and explicitly saying it. Obviously, the prosecution rejects this because its case rests on the fact that Bill Self did not know. So what's interesting here is what Schachter said and how much it could have an impact on the verdicts, which are due to come either Monday or Tuesday. I don't think this trial will drip into Wednesday. We'll have to wait and see on how complicated an issue this jury thinks it is. But I was surprised that he went this far. So the next layer of this is this. In the process of building out this case, the defense attorneys are obviously privy to a lot of information that doesn't get presented at trial. I would even posit that maybe 10% max of what they know, what they've talked about, what the, what they've learned, and what is essentially known to be but can't be brought forth in court, they accept as reality. And Michael Schachter and the rest of those defense attorneys absolutely believe that Bill Self knew about these payments, I don't think that he would have gone as far to, to say that in his closing arguments because if you get to a certain point where you're throwing stuff out there, even in a closing argument, you can really seriously flirt with the mistrial. And I was talking with Wetzel, Dan Wetzel of Yahoo last week. There were a couple moments that it didn't quite get to that line, but there were just there was some contention between the defense team and, and Judge Lewis Kaplan in this where we thought, okay, maybe you know if this keeps going like this, maybe there will be a mistrial and we're going to have to pick up the pieces and start over here. It didn't get to that point. But I know that this particular story and what the defense attorney has, has gained even more traction, but it deserves to be said that Gasnola said that did not happen, and he's under oath. He's pinned against the wall here. He's not even assured that he won't go to jail. Gasnola has no impetus to lie whatsoever because if he does if any of his testimony is found to be falsified then his agreement gets ripped up and he stands to go to jail for a very very long time uh one other thing i want to bring up within all of this that the defense brought up um let me step you with there for okay. one second okay uh, this was a headline that that popped last night while i was flying home from new york you know uh, jim gatto's attorney says bill self knew about the payment to silvio de let me be very clear i'll say the same thing i said last week 
at this point, given everything we know, you'd have to be pretty naive to think that Bill Self and his staff weren't aware of what Jim Gatto and TJ Gasnulam was doing for Kansas. You'd have to be pretty naive. But this would carry much more weight, what the defense attorney said in court yesterday, if he had put Gatto on the stand and Gatto had said it under oath. I had a a person in the industry uh, text me last night while I was on the plane, said, do you think Bill Self survives this? And my answer is, if if it never gets worse than where it is right now, yes. And here's why. Um, What Bill can say is that you can tell you can say I should have known or 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 maybe I should have asked more questions or maybe I was a um, I was trying to create plausible deniability. Obviously, he's not going to say these things, but. Um, but there, there's nothing here that proves that I knew anything or that I directed anybody to go break rules. I told TJ Gasnola I need a couple of real guys. I didn't tell him to go buy me a couple of real guys. You guys are you guys are reading it the way you want to read it. And I and 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 if Gatto's lawyer says that I was aware of it, I'm just telling you that I wasn't. And he has real motive to say that I was aware of it. Their whole case is built on no university was defrauded because the universities knew what my, our clients were doing. That's the case. The prosecution is saying uh, universities were defrauded, and the defense is saying no, the universities weren't because the universities were were involved, aware, and our clients were doing exactly what the universities wanted. So he's trying to get his his client off. I ain't mad at anybody, but like I did not instruct Jim Gatto to go buy a player for me. I did not just instruct TJ Gasnola to go buy a player from me, and they never told me that they did those things. And as long as he sticks to that, I think Bill Self is going to survive this. Curtis Townsend, like that's pretty bad stuff, and we'll get to it in a minute. He might go because, let's just be honest, assistants have been sacrificed in this type of stuff while the head coaches survived for, for decades. But if it doesn't get worse than this, Bill Self's going to continue to coach Kansas. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and I'm glad we got that because I was actually going to set you up with that in just a minute there. So we're on the same wavelength here. Um, if what we know and, – and let's be clear here. like We still have two more trials. We'll see if any of those trials really loop Kansas in the way this one has. I suspect that they won't. Um, but I would say Bill Self is not in danger of losing his job because you do not have anything – in evidence that explicitly shows that Self knew of, approved of, uh, asked for uh, payments. However, there was this one more thing uh, that was brought up by Schachter in court, and it was it was as much as the defense could get to build its to build its argument. Um, it's text messages between Gasnola and Self. Um, Gasnola texts, "I talk with Fenny." Self responds, "We good." Gasnola says, "Always," and says that. That was light work. Ball is in his court now. You know, we're not going to play stupid for our listenership on this podcast. We understand what's going on here, but we're absence of actual evidence. And then Schachter goes on to argue, Coach Self and Townsend asked for Adidas's help in making this payment to Fenny, referring to Fenny Falmain, Silvio D'Souza's guardian. And then Coach Self wanted to know if Adidas told Fenny that the payment would be made and then the ball is in his court. That's a logical conclusion to come to, but it still stops short of actual evidence. I do think Self will be okay. GP, can we now transition this to Townsend? Because these things are dealing with separate players, but uh, the same situation overall with Townsend and the Zion stuff? Because it's it's obviously, I think it's the biggest stuff from this week. I agree. Um, but in, in the spirit of chronological order, mm-hmm. um, the Coach K press conference. Okay, comes, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Things obviously tie together. So on Monday, as that text message exchange between Bill Self and TJ Gasnola is made public, um, Mike Krzyzewski, uh, the Hall of Fame coach, uh, greatest coach, uh, college coach of all time, 
is holding a press conference in Durham, and he describes everything that's coming out in court and uh, on that day and you know in the previous couple of weeks and uh, just this whole quote unquote scandal in general. He says it's 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 quote just a blip. It's not what's happening. Uh, the the pushback has been pretty intense. I think if Kay had to do it over again, he'd probably handle it. But uh, obviously, that's um, it, it's it's silly uh, and uh, disingenuous and just a, an odd way for the most prominent voice in the sport to respond to 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 what we are witnessing in a federal courtroom in New York City. It was a bad look made five times worse by the fact that less than 24 hours later, one of his star players, and let's face it, his star player, Zion Williamson, was irrefutably attached to this story permanently. Um, to refer to what's happening and in court as a blip, to refer to the fact that an investigation of this magnitude that's unprecedented in major college athletics, you can even argue from a federal standpoint. From a federal standpoint with the United States government, we have never seen a case like this. That doesn't qualify as a blip here. And it was shocking because Mike Krzyzewski, everyone would agree that has any sort of, um, you know, (laughs) balanced and weighted knowledge in college athletics and college basketball. He's not dumb. It's impo- this, this guy went to West Point, has guided himself to being arguably the greatest college basketball coach in the history of the sport, understands how recruiting works to such a level that he is doing it at such an, an, an advanced stage and age that it outmatches anything he's done previously. I can now hear the Duke cynics and haters saying, yeah, obviously, look at what you guys have been talking about for the first half hour on this podcast. There's a reason that happens. You're totally validated in thinking that. But the point is... Mike Krzyzewski is too smart to act that stupid. And when he does that, he sets himself up for criticism. I was surprised he did that because he has been a bit outspoken about this and some changes needed in the past. But to be fair, he's also tried to push college basketball along from this as fast as possible, particularly last year when I was at the PK-80 and the trial stuff had kind of come and gone and the games had started and there wasn't a lot about that. But he got asked about it. He said, you know, the focus is where it should be now. It's on the games. It's on this. It's on this season, and that stuff is uh, is pretty much over with. Well, he was kind of true in the moment, but at the same time, um, we were never just going to blow by this and, and think, okay, well, we're not going to talk about it or think about the trial until or the case until the trial start. That wasn't the case whatsoever. So now, you've got Kay getting rightfully ripped over this, and then the next day, again, context is important here. What got released the next day is so fascinating because the jury did not hear this. The jury does not know this happened. They are making their verdict on this case without knowledge of all of this. But what happens is they're out of the courtroom. And before they come back in or any witnesses, even though the witnesses had finished up at this time, what happens is the defense and the prosecution, they go to the judge and they say, okay, listen, here are things that we want to bring up in front of the jury. And it's up to the judge to decide whether that's allowed or not. The judge ultimately decides it's not allowed. But the key thing here, one is the Will Wade conversation with Christian Dawkins. But the bigger headline was the recruitment of Zion Williamson and and Kansas's involvement in all of that and it's just it's it's downright damning it's Merle Code talking to Curtis Townsend and I'm going to read just verbatim so our listeners have it many have probably read this but let's just put this on the table and then Parrish I'll set it up for you hey code said between me and you you know he asked about some stuff you know uh, who is he? This is now I'm reading from Wetzel's column. Uh, Zion Williamson's father. But this is another distinction that has to be made here, okay? Because I haven't really seen this talked about too much. Zion Williamson has a father uh, 
but his father is not who he lives with. He does not have a close relationship with his father. His father and his mother are not married. Zion Williamson has a stepfather. The stepfather was the one that was in charge of his Adidas grassroots program. Oh, by the way, that Adidas funded heavily, just the way Marvin Bagley III's Nike program was funded. So there is the possibility that as uh Code's lawyer, Mark Moore, is describing all this and referring to Williamson's, quote, father. He means his stepfather. It doesn't mean that his father's not possible because, um, you know, I had a source tell me during Zion Williamson's recruitment that uh, Zion Williamson's father was actually a little bit in the picture. So there is that minute possibility, but I think it's more likely it was a stepfather. Either way, that's a particular detail that needs to be put out there so people understand what's going on here. Code continues. I know what he's asking for. He's asking for opportunities from an occupational perspective. He's asking for cash in the pocket, and he's asking for housing for him and his family. This is very much like the DeAndre Ayton recruitment to Kansas. Okay. So then Townsend says, I've just got to try to work and figure out a way because if that's what it takes to get here for 10 months, we're going to have to do it some way. That is an acknowledgement that he understands the recruiting situation surrounding Zion Williamson, potentially going from the Adidas grassroots level to the biggest Adidas school that there is. And Townsend is not hanging up the phone. He's not saying, hey, man, you know that we can't do that here. We don't do that here. It's him absolutely listening to Code's pitch and not uh, not getting off the phone. It's it's particularly damning for Kansas and Townsend. I think an, an NCAA probe is inevitable. The timing on that, hell, it might be two, three years from now, given how these things go. We don't know on all of that. But it, it absolutely has aftershocks with Duke, because what we are asking, what what Duke is asking us to believe now, and of course it's possible, but it's asking us to believe that Zion Williamson's recruitment, on behalf of Merle Code, this was not the stepfather talking to Curtis Townsend or perhaps Zion Williamson's father, uh, but Code is saying, I talk with the family and here's what's going on. So if that was happening with Kansas, are we to believe that the lure of Krzyzewski and Duke and, and Cameron and being on television more than any other team in the country except maybe Kentucky was enough for the family not to take any sort of benefits? Obviously, that's quite the leap of assumption to make. And so it sets up for a problematic issue with Duke. I will say, you know, I, one more thing and I'll, and I'll shut up and get it to you, Parrish. When Bagley had to get into Duke last year, it was such a big deal. I, I talked with uh, multiple people around Duke, and the process in which the high-profile players are allowed to be enrolled and eligible to play, particularly at Duke, I was told is exceedingly rigorous, like so tedious about bank records, everything financial in the previous two, three, four years. That said, Obviously, Mike Krzyzewski is the most powerful person in the sport, and to date, there's never been a player that's been refuted from getting into Duke. So you can make the case that it's so hard to get in, and they they check the NCAA rigorously fact checks everything, and someone else could easily come back and say, "Come on, it's Duke Krzyzewski. Is there really going to be a roadblock?" So that's what Duke faces, and there are questions that still need to be asked. Oh, by the way, ACC Media Day is next week. I'd love to see what happens to the compliance person who tries to tell Mike Krzyzewski he can't enroll Zion Williamson because they found something problematic. Yeah, like, come on. How's that going to go? Yeah, I know. Whatever, but come on. Um, Here's what I would say. Um, First off, it's an obviously terrible look for Kansas because it's just one thing stacked on top of another, stacked on top of another here. You know, we know Billy Preston got paid by Adidas to go to Kansas. We know that Sylvia D'Souza got paid by Adidas to to go to Kansas. We know that um, Kansas tried to pay DeAndre Ayton to go to – I mean, that that Adidas tried to pay – DeAndre Ayton to go to Kansas. Now we got Curtis Townsend, who's been, you know, side by side with Bill for a long, long time. Um, 
you know, saying, hey, listen, if that's what it takes to get it done, then, you know, we're going to have to get it done. Now, I do think there's a way out for Curtis, and I'll get to that in a moment. But uh, obviously, like common sense suggests that they were willing to play ball here and actually anxious to play ball here. And when you combine it with everything else, it, it paints the picture. I hope Kentucky fans are listening of a program that has been um, cheating for a while uh, to enroll prospects to win Big 12 title after Big 12 title after Big 12 title. I don't care what the NCAA does to Kansas going forward. If Bill, Bill Self coaches forever or never again, if Curtis Townsend is on that staff forever or never again, um, this is going to be part of the Kansas legacy now. It's not just going to be like, ooh, it's amazing, 14 straight Big 12 titles. It will always be hit with, yeah, but. Same like, it's amazing, Barry Bonds hit 70 home runs. Yeah, but. That, that's always going to be a part of this Kansas thing now. Uh, that's done. That's been settled over the past three weeks in a courtroom in, in, in lower Manhattan. Um, but I, I think the larger issue here is is Duke. Because, like, like I said earlier, the reason I didn't write the look at Kansas cheating column earlier this week is because, like, we've been through that. I, we, we discussed it at length the week before. There was nothing new there. Uh, bringing Duke and UNC in Kentucky for that purposes of that column, that was the new stuff. And for the purposes of this exchange, uh, the Zion Williamson ending up at Duke thing, that's really the, the focal point. Because here's what we know. We know that, according to Merle Code and Curtis Townsend, because the way the conversation actually started, I think you misquoted it and you attributed the first to, to Merle. It was actually Curtis. Curtis said, hey, but between me and you, you know, you know he asked about some stuff. And I said, well, we'll talk about that. You decide. And then Code said, I know what he's asking for. So they are both, Merle Code and Curtis Townsend, two people who have been involved in the recruitment, have dealt with the presumably stepfather. Merle Code's from South Carolina, just like Zion, by the way. Played at Clemson, which was very much involved in trying to get Zion. It's the only time Clemson's actually been competing with Duke for a recruit, like a major recruit. Correct. And so you got two people involved in the recruitment who both think that Zion's stepfather, again, presumably stepfather, uh, has got his hand out. He wants a job. He wants a house or somewhere to live. He wants cash in his pocket. This is what these two people think. That's what we know. We also know that – so we know there's a seller. We know there's a seller. Follow me here. We also know there's a buyer because Kansas has already said we'll buy. Curtis Towns is on a wiretap saying if that's what we got to do, then that's what we're going to do. We'll have to figure it out. So we know we got a seller. We know we got a buyer. And then we know he went to Duke. Now, is it possible that Zion Williamson's stepfather wanted to sell Zion, that a blue blood program like Kansas stepped up and said we'll buy Zion, but then they just rejected it all and decided to go to Duke at the last minute for absolutely nothing more than what's allowed by NCAA rules? Perhaps. Perhaps that is exactly what happened. If you talk to the Duke staff, they will tell you, yes, that's what happened. But who's going to believe that outside of people who want to believe it because, um, you know, they're Blue Devils for life? I mean, do you think, do you think the casual basketball fan thinks that Zion Williamson's stepfather was trying to sell Zion that Kansas was willing to buy Zion and that Zion then just went allowed by a stepfather to Duke at the last minute in a surprising move for nothing more than what's allowed by NCAA rules. It's a tough sell. Yes, an extremely tough sell. And to be clear, no one thinks that Merle Code 
is hitting up Mike Shashevsky and saying, "Listen, if you went on, if you want in on Zion, you know, the family wants cash in the pocket. They're going to need some jobs. We're going to have to talk about housing. I got to get this done with you." No one is going to Mike Shashevsky and saying that. It's just not happening there. The channels. Um, frankly, weren't set up to be like that because Merle Code was working on behalf of Adidas, um, which is a, a discrepancy that should be pointed out here. But as we head toward the season, Zion Williamson, now forever attached to this story, is the f- most famous person in college basketball right now, and he hasn't played a game. And that's an inarguable point. From a social media standpoint, from the fact that he, he has been tracked through highlights on television, viral social media for three years now, the way that he plays, the way that he looks, frankly, we have a tendency to say this, but this is true. We have never seen a player like Zion Williamson enter major college basketball or just say college basketball overall because he's that big, that, that, that athletic, and when you look at someone built like him, you don't expect him to do the things he does, to jump as high as he does, to be as forceful as he does, and to make it look as effortlessly as he does. So we have all of this entering a season, and Duke players are always going to face hate whenever they go to an road environment, especially in the ACC, but now you're going to have a situation where Zion Williamson is probably going to be the 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 most played song on the radio, if you will, uh, from November through March, and you're going to have a bunch of people bringing signs in the game asking how much he, went, he paid to go to Duke. This is going to be something that I do think will be a thrumming undercurrent for Duke's season uh, throughout the year. Uh, I would I would expect that as we speak right now, um, point well taken and well heard on, on your compliance thing, GP, but I would expect that because of the publicity that all of this brought, they are crossing their T's and dotting their I's uh, regarding Zion Williamson's legitimacy as a prospect. That said, he's not going to miss a game. I don't expect that to happen. If it did, obviously it would qualify as a major headline. And now, yeah, Duke has... A little bit of a taint to this story as well because of how he was brought into this. And you're asking us to make a big leap to suggest that if if billion-dollar corporations were working to get him to play at one school, why would others not be doing the same as Gasnola testified under oath? Yes, of course. Nike and Under Armour work for their biggest schools the same way that we were tasked to do with Adidas. Yeah, and uh, I want to be fair to, to Zion because I think it's possible, if not likely, that he had no idea. Oh, it's you a know, bit Bra- unfair to him, Parrish. This is not yeah. this is it's not his doing. He's going to be attached to it, but you're absolutely right. Right, like um, like Brian Bowen Jr. Uh, I don't believe knew what Brian Bowen Sr. was doing, and I think um, it's probably true that if if Zion's stepfather was shopping him, Zion probably didn't know. If only because you know, speaking as a father. If I were trying to profit off of my teenage kid, like I have a teenage son, and if he were an immensely talented basketball prospect and I was trying to pro- profit off of him and guide him to a certain university in exchange for whatever, I don't think I would want him to know that. So I would assume that even though Zion is going to get everything you just described and more, um, you know, it, it, he probably had literally nothing to do with this. And that's unfortunate, but like it, it is also um, uh, it's also a reality. Um, Yes, I believe that Duke will look into this, if only so that they can say that they did. But here's the way that goes down. I would assume, you know, this is this would be very different if Zion's stepfather was on a wiretap with Moral Code, talking about what he wants, or Zion's stepfather was on a wiretap with Curtis Townsend, talking about what he wants. This is two other people talking about what mm-hmm. Zion's stepfather wants. And when Duke's compliance people come to me, you know what I say? I go. I don't know where they got that from. I don't know why a Kansas coach thought I 
had my hand out, but he's wrong. And I don't know why an Adidas executive um, had, thought I had my hand out, but he was wrong. Perhaps the, the Adidas executive was saying that because Kansas was expecting uh, to get Zion there because Adidas had been so heavily involved with us. But my son wanted to go to Duke, and I wasn't going to stand in his way, even if we had had a great relationship with Adidas. So for Adidas to have to to, to rationalize that to a Kansas staff that wanted my son, they have to uh, imply that, that, well, it was a dirty deal. But it wasn't a dirty deal. And uh, I, I'm, I'm highly offended that anybody would suggest otherwise. Now, I don't believe any of that. Mm-hmm. But if you say it, what happens next? Right. I mean, there, it's, it's, the onus is on the university – uh, to really take action in that case, and that's just not going to happen. One last thing on this before we move on, Parrish. Uh, Pat Forty and Pete Thamel did write a story that said, hey, listen, you know, remember the Cam Newton situation when his, his father was found to have been shopping him for 180000 in Mississippi State, and then this new rule came into place. Um, I actually don't know if that would apply here either, this Cam Newton rule, where it basically says, even if the player, the student-athlete doesn't know, but... Um, you know, the services are being shopped out there on behalf of that player without his knowledge. Uh, the player can be ruled ineligible by a family member. I don't even know if, and this is this is really getting into it, but like this is not his this is not his biological father. I don't even know if he technically, if if Zion Williamson's stepfather uh, would even qualify as his technical guardian. So even if you're thinking that might be a possibility, um, there could be the loophole in that he does he didn't he didn't apply in those situations. He was just someone uh, in a certain spot that if you're if you're clinging to the notion that Duke is going to get railed for this and Zion Williamson is going to be ineligible and the Cam Newton rule is going to come into play, well, there are more even reasons why you should be skeptical that that is going to happen overall. We'll see what Mike Shashevsky says at ACC Media Day next week because he'll obviously be asked about this. He might be asked to follow up his comments, his blip comments, and uh, we'll see with a few days' time and potentially with a verdict in on this trial what his thoughts are then. Um, a couple more things. Um, you're exactly right. Like, listen, if Duke didn't get in trouble for Corey Maggette or Lance Thomas or the, uh, the, the idea that Nike funded Marvin Bagley's uh, grassroots team that was built for him and run by his father um, – an immense amount of money, several hundred thousand dollars. If like, and that just sort of disappears. If nothing comes of that stuff, I'll be shocked if anything comes of this. I don't think Duke's going to get uh, in in any trouble. But I did want to touch on Curtis Townsend and then make a larger point before we move on. Um, I mentioned earlier there's there's maybe a way for Curtis Townsend out of this, and I would assume it's it's by explaining his words this way. Because um, what Curtis Townsend says that is the incriminating part. He says, "Hey, but, uh, no," he says. Um, I've got to just try to work and figure out a way because if that's what it takes to get him here for 10 months, we're going to have to do it some way, end quote. I imagine what Curtis – and listen, I want to be clear. It is what it is. Like he ain't – nobody's going to trick me by pretending that's something other than what it clearly is. But if you're trying to save your job, you just say, listen, this is what we do. You know, we live in a world of bullshit. You know, like you, you get these people on the phone and even if you have no intentions of, of – of doing what it is they're suggesting needs to get done, you're just trying to keep them on the hook. You know, you're just trying to stay in the game. And, like, you hope at the end of the day you can, with more time and and education, you can convince these people, like, you don't need to go down this path. Like, your kid's worth $20 million in, uh, you know, in eight months. Like, be smart about this. And so, yeah, I said, hey, you know, uh, um, if this is, you know, what it's going to take, then we're going to have to do it some way. But when I said do it some way, I just meant like, eh, 
just keep me in the ball game and, and we'll, we'll figure this out down the road. But I never did anything. We ain't the ones that ended up with Zion Williamson. And I think maybe, uh, just maybe, you can you can survive that. Again, nobody believes it, but it, it it's it's at least an, an, an explanation. And the last point I want to make on this, sort of big picture, as it relates to Duke, because it, undeniably it's a bad look for Duke. We know we got a seller. We know we got a buyer. And it's not like the buyer's DePaul. It's not like Zion Williamson had a $200,000 offer to go don't to Don't downplay DePaul. DePaul has been playing in this thing, by the way. Because it's no, DePaul. They, we haven't been talking about DePaul's, DePaul's been moving and shaking, my <laughs> man. There's there's some serious drama going down in Chicago right now. And uh, I think we need to dedicate some more time to DePaul on the whole on this podcast because we cannot overlook just uh, just how much they've been involved in this. It's actually been one of the uh, more comical things that have gone on in this trial to realize DePaul, uh, DePaul's getting in the money bag game. I thought that was a... Uh, uh, pretty revealing and interesting. Okay, let's say another program that like doesn't have a strong history of success. Maybe Penn State. It's not like Zion's father is stepfather's out there going, "Listen, I want money. I want a job. I want a house." And Merle Code's like, "All right, listen, I'm looking around for you, and I got I can get you all that stuff from Penn State. You turn down Clemson, turn down Duke, go to Penn State. We got you covered." He's like, "Yo, man, you ever been to Penn State? I ain't trying to move to." Uh, the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania, and like my kid ain't playing at Penn State on a Big Ten Network every night. Like what? We'll just go to Duke for uh for a, a scholarship and cost of attendance stipend. Like that ain't what happened here. Like mm-hmm. they turned down K- like Kansas was willing to deal. That's what the that's what the text that's what the wiretap shows. I mean that's Kansas. It's one of the top five programs in America. Won fourteen consecutive Big Twelve titles. Won a national championship. You know, in the past decade, got a Hall of Fame coach. So it ain't like they just turned down whatever, theoretically, to go to Duke. Like, they turned down Kansas, which was willing to deal, according to the wiretap, to, to go to Duke. It's a bad look for Duke. But also, all of this is kind of a – it, it puts Kentucky in a, in a tough spot as well. And here's why. Again, wildcat, wildcat fans everywhere just threw their phone across the gym, across the living room, uh, veered off the side of the road when you did that. Continue. I just, I just uh, uh, follow me here. Follow me here. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. All right. Let me be. Like, if you're gonna quote me, quote that. Fairish. But, uh, but here's what I'm saying. What we've learned really over the past year, but especially in the past three weeks, is this. A borderline top 25 kid can get $100,000 from a shoe company. That's Brian Bowen Jr. from Adidas. So we know, like, that's what that's what the market is for at least that top 25 kid. What's a top 5 kid worth? Top 10 kid worth? I don't know. But, like, we know what a top 25 kid got. We also know that Louisville's willing to buy. That Kansas is willing to buy. And basically everybody's been calling a wiretap. DePaul is willing to buy, Parrish. DePaul is willing to buy. And everybody says Arizona's willing to buy anybody. I mean, that to me, that's still the funniest thing. Like, every time a prospect comes up, it's like Nasir Little. Oh, yeah, Arizona will do that. Uh, Brian Bowen. Yeah, Arizona will buy him. Like, just Arizona, according to people on the wiretaps, whether it's Book Richardson or anybody else, Arizona's ready to deal. So here's what we know. We know that these players are worth something. And we know that some of the best programs in America, Louisville, Kansas, Arizona, are willing to deal. And yet, for the past five years and much of the past decade the top players in the country the number one and number two recruiting classes in the country basically every year have been duke and kentucky so again i'm not accusing anybody of anything but what what these facts are asking people to believe is that 
some of the best programs in America are willing to buy these top-shelf players, and yet the best of the best are still going to Kentucky for nothing in violation of NCAA rules and Duke for nothing in violation of NCAA rules. I just find that interesting. I'm not trying to put anybody in a postseason ban or get anybody fired, and I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but like that is an interesting thing to consider, isn't it? Yeah, you're you're basically setting up a situation in which Duke and Kentucky, because of their Hall of Fame coaches, because of the fact that they are the two most uh, powerful programs, biggest brand names in college basketball, they are able to override, to supersede any sort of nefarious recruiting activity merely because of the coaches that run the programs and the and the allure of of you come to us, you're one and done. You're going to be a lottery pick, a first-round pick. You're going to be set up with your family, you know, for decades, essentially. And that alone is enough to obfuscate them from any sort of bad recruiting activity, which you can believe that believe that if you want. But what I can't ask anyone to believe is that Nike doesn't seriously have the massive wheels and gears of its own economy set up to benefit both of those programs greatly, directly or indirectly. And remember, that is what T.J. Gasnola uh, testified in in court, and it is also what T.J. Gasnola is on a text message exchange uh, saying to to Bill Self. And you would think somebody like T.J. Gasnola would probably know something uh, like that. Again, it doesn't mean that anything can be proven. It doesn't mean that anybody's about to be ruled ineligible. It's just an interesting thing to consider. Let's move on. Um, another interesting thing in, that happened in court this week is a wiretap exchange was read, and the exchange was between Will Wade, the LSU coach, and Christian Dawkins, the um, wannabe agent, ambitious, somewhat sloppy uh, hustler. And so the wiretap captures this conversation, again, without context, but this is what was read in court. Christian Dawkins says to Will Wade, so you said to me in Atlanta there was a 2019 kid I wanted to recruit. They can get him to LSU. You would have funded. You would have funded. Let me restart that over. So you said to me in Atlanta there was a two thousand there was a two thousand nineteen kid I wanted to recruit. They can get him to LSU. You would have funded. Would you want Balsa? And Balsa is Balsa Caprivica, class of two thousand nineteen, top seventy five kid. Uh, Will Wade asks, Oh, the big kid? Dawkins says, Yeah. And Will Wade responds, Okay, but there's other blank involved. And I'm not sure. Everybody assumes that the blank, which is an expletive, is there's other S involved, but I'm not sure that's not there's other MFers involved in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's other S involved in it or there's other MFers involved in it. Either way, the point's the same. Uh, but there's other blank involved in it. I have got to shut my door. Here's my thing. I can get you what you need, but it's got to work. End quote. Uh, what uh, essentially that is, again, we're, we're not going to play dumb for the audience or for Will. Um, it, it seems to be that Will is saying the Christian Dawkins, who's out there just hustling nonstop, is saying, I can get you Balsa Caprivica, um, but, like, here's what we need. And Will's saying, I can get you what you need, but we got to, you know, we, but it's got to work. Um, obviously, this, I think, came out in court the day before SEC Media Day. Will uh, was asked about it uh, predictably at SEC Media Day. And among other things, he said, I have not done business of any kind with Christian Dawkins. And I think that was a carefully worded statement because Balsa has not uh, committed to LSU. Uh, Thank God for Will Wade. Otherwise, it'd be an even bigger problem. Uh, So he can, I think, reasonably 
um, say I still I've never done business with 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 um, with Christian Dawkins, and that's probably technically true. But it doesn't mean he was not caught on a wiretap uh, suggesting that he will do business with Christian Dawkins. So again, when you combine it with the fact that Sports Illustrated or Yahoo, one of the two, um, right or wrong, uh, wrote earlier this calendar year that the NCAA was already looking into LSU's recruiting tactics and combine it with the fact that, you know, they went into New Jersey and got the top kid. They went into Connecticut and got Tremont Waters, both of which are, you know, like not normal recruitment. It's like it, it doesn't paint the, it doesn't paint a great picture. Yeah, and Wade said that he was he found it a little bit surprising. Uh, quote, those are his words. Um, that his name got brought up in the trial, which might be true to him. It uh, he knew that he was caught on wiretap. So every time that you have a conversation, and it's caught on wiretap. Uh, the government has X amount of days. I think it's thirty days post uh, post capture of the conversation. Um, you have to be notified of that. So he knew that he had been caught talking to Dawkins and maybe there are other people, maybe there are multiple conversations with Dawkins. I don't know. But he knew at the very least that this conversation was caught on wiretap. So I don't think... But also he knew that, um, because I knew, like before the trial even got started, it was reported among the names that could come up in this trial yes. was um, Bill Self and you know, uh, this and this and this, but like, it was also LSU, Will Wade. It was like, it, it was announced. I mean, literally announced in court. So like would, to yeah. not know that, to be surprised that your name came up is kind of, uh, I mean, I like Will, but that's kind of, that's kind of silly, right? That was a little silly. And LSU now needs to do just as what Kansas is doing and Duke is doing and every other school. And Will still has more questions to answer here. Um, obviously, his, his statement was worded very carefully. I have no doubt that that was vetted with uh, a number of his bosses, if not uh, a personal attorney or two, as it probably should have been. Um, and he very well could be telling the truth that says, uh, we've never done any sort of business, business with Christian Dawkins. Uh, maybe that's the case. We'll see what happens with LSU there. Oh, by the way, um, Tremont Waters, as you mentioned, you know, we think he sets up, this is a quick tease to what's coming, as a top 15 player in the country. LSU is a ranked team in the preseason. They they are they should be pretty good this year. For as good as people thought they were going to be with Ben Simmons and that didn't happen, I think LSU's got a good shot of being that good with Tremont Waters, freshman Nazareth, and others this year. Um, wouldn't surprise me, though, if this particular story might linger and uh, and be attached at the ankle of Will Wade as the season goes along. One more thing in the context of that call, though, between Dawkins and Wade. You know, the specific details are different, but what was put forth, again, this was by the defense trying to get it in front of the jury, and then the judge saying, no, you're not bringing this forth. This is a side, and we're not even getting into this. I don't even get why the judge makes some of these parish. I don't get it. I don't get why he says, like, this isn't relevant to the case that we have on trial here, but that's a whole nother matter. But what this all is, you know what this reminds me of, Parrish? You know what this reminds me of? The fact that there was a report that Dawkins talked to Sean Miller and what you might have had in that conversation, even if what was reported wasn't entirely accurate, we still don't know if it was 100% accurate, not accurate at all, because those tapes never got played. That transcript never got even brought up by the defense. None of that even came up in this trial. But you might have had Dawkins going to Sean, uh, to Sean Miller and saying, DeAndre Ayton, the big kid, you know, what can we do to get this done, et cetera, et cetera. And it could have been Miller kind of just doing what you explained Townsend was doing to Merle Code and just saying, we got to take these calls. Like, you can't just get that. The thing gets brought up. F you, hang up the phone, and we're done. You know, you got to massage the BSers here in this business. So what Dawkins was doing with Wade there, I think is exactly what Dawkins was attempting to do with Miller. Oh, I, I you know, in fairness, I think that the way that the initial story by ESPN was reported um, was wrong. Uh, that's why Sean was able to come out and say 
in a very detailed, carefully worded way, that never happened. But we do know that Christian Dawkins is on a wiretap with Sean Miller. And I think if that, that, that I'm assuming that if that call is ever played in any of these trials or it's ever leaked or a transcript of it is ever provided, I do think that it'll be a bad look for Sean Miller. He'll be talking, he'll say, I would assume that he's on that wiretap saying something, um, not unlike what Will Wade said or Curtis Townsend said, um, even if it wasn't necessarily about DeAndre Ayton. Yeah. Um, I think that I think that wraps up trial stuff, right? <laughs> GP, do you want yeah. Uh, well, la- last thing, it, it, because some people have wondered how LSU is going to respond. LSU athletic director Joe Oliva uh, released a statement, I think maybe yesterday, um, just saying we stand by Will Wade. You know, we take this stuff seriously, but we stand by Will Wade. So, um, unless it, I, this is sort of true with, I think all of this stuff, unless something else comes out, I think everybody's going to be okay. It, it won't, it, you know, they'll have some stink on them and their names will uh, have, have been deemed, especially Bills and Curtis Townsend and the Kansas program in general, which, by the way, as we're recording, it was just announced, has been picked to win the Big 12 again. Of course. <laughs> uh, by the coaches poll, Big 12 media coaches poll. Um, you know, but I think, uh, I think probably everybody, everybody's going to survive this. So that means, not- hold on. Yeah, Paris, that means that today is Big 12 media day, perhaps. Is that right? Do we have that right? I actually think Big Twelve Murdy. I don't, I don't think it's. I think it's next week. Okay. I think it's uh, the twenty fourth. Okay, I only brought I, that up in case we're we're talking stuff, and then Bill Self says one or two things at, just after we finish this that we don't address. I just wanted to give listeners a heads up. That maybe it's the twenty fourth. Okay, uh, so it's next uh, next Wednesday. Gotcha. So that's you know again uh, LSU standing by Will Wade, Kansas so far standing by Bill Self, um, even LaSalle standing by Kenny Johnson. <laughs> like I I think probably everybody's gonna gonna be okay unless something more comes out um let's move on to some some basketball stuff the nba announced uh, yesterday on thursday that uh, starting with the class of 2019 that the g league is going to offer select elite prospects a hundred twenty five thousand dollar contract to skip college and go straight to the g league now i've had a lot of people ask some very basic questions um the answers are I mean, all you got to do is read the right there, but whatever. For whatever reason, people have more time to ask you a question on Twitter than they do just, like, read a story. Um, no, it does not mean that somebody could be called up to an NBA franchise. What it would mean is, let's just take the number one prospect in the class of 2019, James Wiseman. If James Wiseman decided he didn't want to go to Kansas, Kentucky, Memphis, Florida State, or Vanderbilt, didn't want to be an amateur athlete anymore, wanted to go to the G League, he could get a $125,000 contract and go to the G League, but he would play for a G League team the entire season, and then he would enter the 2020 NBA draft just like he had played a year of college basketball. So that's what's on the table here. Um, If you want it and we think you're worth it, we'll give you $125,000 to spend a season, uh, like five months in the the G League. Um, and and, And more or less what it does is provide an alternative to to, to going to college. Uh, do you think this is significant? Do you think it matters? I think it matters. I don't think it's significant. I think it matters because it's good to give people that have no interest in going to college an option to make some real money and pursue their dream to get to the NBA. And it's good that the NBA did this. I don't think it's significant. I don't think that offering $125,000 to prospects to, you know, 
ride, take long bus trips or, or to fly and coach, um, to play in front of 313 people on a Tuesday night while the rest of college basketball and the NBA is broadcast across the country to millions upon millions of people. I don't think that alters the appeal or the viability of college basketball one iota. I don't think that we're going to see more than two, three, four players in a given draft class uh, or a given high school class, I should say, do this because a couple things to consider with this. One, you can be super cynical and say, hey, dude, 125000 like there are going to be guys whose, whose families are making more than that and they get to go to college and they get to get the exposure. So what are we really doing here? Two, I think we sometimes gloss over too easily the fact that college is freaking awesome. And it was awesome for you and me, Parrish. It's 74,000 times more awesome in so many respects. If you're in peak physical condition, you are the big man on campus, you're one of the most famous people in your sport, you get to play on television and display your skill set 15, 20, 25, 30, 30 times a season. By doing that, you attach yourself to a fan base that will essentially love you forever. You get to eat out on that for the rest of your life. It obviously builds your brand in a way that the G League can never possibly do it. Those games are not on television. And even if the G League is somehow able to build a way in which uh, it's streaming on Twitter or other online things becomes like a, a niche, super niche NBA Twitter thing, it will not come close to the appeal or discussion point of major college basketball and then lastly a point that everyone has been making in wake of this and I find appropriate yet somewhat uh, ironic is that you've got concern if you want to even call it that parish that 18 year olds are going to step into the G League and be th- you know be fighting with 23 24 26 year olds who are dying to get onto an NBA roster or who were played in the NBA and are ready to kill to get back there and because of that that's not something you want to do to expose yourself, which I totally agree with. But, oh, by the way, as we talk about that, that's why the rule is in place to begin with because the NBA and its scouts don't want to scout high school games and they don't want to put these 17, 18-year-olds right into the NBA immediately because these dudes, more often than not, obviously there are the exceptions, um, the Garnets, the Kobe's, the Dwight Howard's, the LeBron's that can step in and, and be a factor right away. But most of the times you're going against not even 25-year-olds, like 29-year-old eight-year, nine-year vets that are just going to kick your ass. So it's great that the option is out there, but if you know, and there was a lot of stuff made about this, as there should have been, but this is not going to impact college basketball in a significant way. This is not going to be what drags eight of the 12 most prominent players in a given high school class every single year out of college basketball and into the G League. It's a big headline, insignificant story, because what the NBA is going to consider a quote-unquote elite prospect worth this is exactly the type of kid who ain't going to think it's worth it. And the reasons are all for the reasons you just stated. Um, like I'll start with your last one first. Like The risk of exposure. Like If you are a projected top five pick and you don't get exposed um, in the subsequent year coming out of high school, you're going to be a lottery pick. You just are. And that means you're worth millions and millions of dollars. Why would you risk all that? Why would you risk that? that status uh, by going and playing against grown-ass men. You know, there's a big difference between an 18-year-old and a 25-year-old, 28-year-old. Like, uh, like uh, even the elite 18-year-olds would have a hard time playing against grown men like that um, for, you know, game after game after game. So why would you want to take $125,000 if it's going to cost you $5 million? No way. You, you, you got nothing to do but, but, but hurt yourself by going and doing that. 
you're not going to be a projected top five pick, go to the G League and and help yourself. I don't think. So just stay away from it. Beyond that, like that life is miserable. Like the I, I, the Grizzlies have a G League affiliate that's also in the area called the Memphis Hustle. My point being that I'm often like leaving Memphis International and I'm on planes, not often, but sometimes, and I'm on planes with G League teams. You know, they ain't flying fly charter. They're on the same Delta flights I'm on, except guess what? They ain't getting bumped up to first class. So there's Matt Costello with the Austin Spurs you know, in, in 32B. Like I, I bring his name up because I've actually seen him get on the plane. <laughs> So six foot nine Matt Costello, who'd been traveling with charter planes, charter planes, charter planes nonstop at Michigan State for years. Now he's in playing in the G League. He's on thirty two B, scrunched between like some lady and like uh, some the three hundred pound man. And they got to collect. They gotta go from Memphis to Atlanta, and then Atlanta to Austin. Like that ain't fun. And then they do it to play in front of three hundred people, not on TV. Like contrast that with being a a, a a player at a freshman at duke you live in a wonderful situation meals are perfect and provided every day you're getting top shelf coaching from a hall of famer plus you know the training staff all of that stuff is like top shelf um you charter everything five-star hotels you know matt costello staying in the fairfield inn mm-hmm. if he's lucky you know, uh, uh, R.J. Barrett this year going to be staying in a five-star hotel uh, or the best hotel in every AC city that they visit. Um, charter planes, uh, national television, packed arenas everywhere you go. It's just a it's a crappy way to live if you can live the alternative. And so I still think college is going to be a preferable route for 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 most of the guys that the NBA would consider worthy of these contracts for, again, and you mentioned this, the marketing perspective as well. You know, Kevin Durant coming out of high school is just a skinny, uniquely talented, tall basketball player. Coming out of Texas, he's worth $80 million Nike contract because he was on Big Monday every week, balling out. He became a brand in that one year in college. Now, that doesn't happen for everybody, but it happened for him, and it can happen. It ain't happening in the G League. You ain't going to go build a brand, uh, build a brand playing for the Memphis Hustle. So there's a million reasons to just go to college rather than take this deal. And if you are the type who still wouldn't want to go to college, like Adrian Wojnarowski pointed this out on Twitter yesterday, you'd be better off just saying, I'm going to sit it out and train for a year if you're a top 10 pick because there's no risk of exposure. You know, just do what, uh, what's the big kid who was committed to Western Kentucky? Robinson? Yeah, just do what he did and sit it out. And there's really no uh, risk of, of exposing yourself. Now, he dropped. Mitchell Robinson did for a variety of Other reasons. Issues, but it wasn't but because yes, he got exposed, yeah. uh, exposed by grown men uh, in the G League. So you'd be better off just saying, I'm going to sit it out for a year. And guess what? By the way, you could probably sign with an agent right out of high school, sit out a year. That agent would pay for you to train all year long. And if you needed a $125,000 loan, interest-free, sure, they'd be happy to give it to you. And you'd probably never have to pay it back if you want to know the truth. So um, there's a million. If you're really after $125,000, there's a lot smarter ways to get it than to go join the G League and risk being exposed. And that's why I think an academic casualty of a top 10 player, somebody who's not going to get into school and be eligible, he might do it. But how many of those are there really? And, um, and that's about it. I do not think James Wiseman, Vernon Carey, 
Cole Anthony are going to be playing in the G League next year. I think they're going to be playing college basketball next year. Correct. Absolutely. Um, and they will be on our – all three of those guys will be on our top 100 and one list of the best players in college basketball. That published this week – on the site. Let's wrap up with this, Parrish. I'm going to run down our top 10 real quick. Just as you give a heads up, Parrish will probably put a link to this in the podcast post. Check it out on cbsports.com or just go right to the link. Check our Twitter feeds. Obviously, we've been tweeting about it this week. This is your heads up about who to know going into the season. If you love this podcast and you stuck with us through more than 70 minutes, shouts to you and shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Parrish, I'm going to do this for you, and you can obviously repeat it in a bit here. Shouts to Larnell, who I hope is listening because um, these are obviously for the people that want to know about this, but probably already have a decent idea. Um, it's not a great year. I will say that Zion Williamson is by far the most famous player entering college basketball as a freshman, which is notable. R.J. Barrett, we have number one. He's going to be the best player. Parrish and I are full agreement on that. Um, and there are recognizable players, but I actually think the sport, uh, it, this is something that happens every year, of course. I just, as we were building this out and I looked at the top 25, I was like, damn, like there are people that we know about. But from a casual perspective, this will change as we get to January and February, but there's a lot of names that a lot of people don't know. Here's our top 10. Barrett at Duke is one. Carson Edwards at Purdue, who I think is going to average 23, 24 points, pile up some assists, and just be a straight-up baller. He's number two. We've got Luke May at Carolina third. It's kind of remarkable how he's built his career into that status. Dietrich Lawson at Kansas. You might be saying, wait a second, Dietrich Lawson, Dietrich Lawson, how do I know that name? Memphis, GP. He sat out last year after transferring. We've got That's my little homie from Memphis. That's my little homie from Memphis. Nothing little about him. Dietrich Lawson is a beast of a power forward, and he's going to stack up some big numbers. Kansas has a lot of options there. We think Dietrich Lawson is most likely to become the alpha on that team, and when he's a standout player, just an absolute stud. Keep an eye on, out for him. Caleb Martin is the better of the two Martin twins, Caleb and Cody. We've got Caleb Martin at Nevada, number five. Reigning SEC player Grant Williams is number six. He's the first reigning SEC player of the year to return to the league after winning that award since Chris Lofton did it at Tennessee. Tennessee, homie. Tennessee. That's right. Uh, seven is Ethan Happ. Uh, Got to put him in there. He's just an incredible low post player, extremely efficient, has obviously warranted a top 10 ranking. Finished out 8-9-10 with eight Shamari Pons. Total bucket getter. Uh, St. John's is – Got sky-high expectations, the highest arguably in a decade and a half because Mustafa Heron is now eligible. Nine, we mentioned him on this podcast already, Nasir Little, a freshman forward at North Carolina who is going to be really fun to watch. Maybe he winds up being even better than Luke May. We don't reject that notion. We just think right now Luke May is, is a bit better than Little, and Little is obviously a much better pro prospect overall. And then number 10, actually 10-11, Tremont Waters at 11, but 10 we have Tyus Battle. And the, the way I described Tyus Battle was he is the line of demarcation between what player was just maybe not going to go to the NBA and the best returning player in college basketball. Where does that line get built? It's with Tyus Battle. He could have gone, could have been a first-round pick. Instead, he returns, so he's the best blend of that. Um, obviously, there's you know 91 more players to go with that, but uh, that kind of sets it up. If you're curious, Zion, we have his 13. Any thoughts or other players you want to bring up for the listenership as we actually get to talk about in some real basketball ahead of the season here, Parrish? Only thought would be this. Um, First off, just the same way I'm not going to argue with random wackos on Twitter about uh, who I drink, who I've had a drink with. Uh, I'm not going to argue with uh, like whack about a list of 101 college basketball players. One of the weird things about social media is, uh, particularly Twitter, is that because, and please don't take this the wrong way, but that because people care what you think about everything, they think. 
you care about what they think about everything. I say that to say I, I don't care what you think about where your favorite basketball player should be ranked. It does not matter to me. Um, I you know like I'm not going to argue if you think Carson Edwards is too high or Jawan Morgan is too low. Like it's fine with me. I tweeted a link to it twice and never uh, tweeted another word uh, about it. The only thing I the only time I was tempted to respond to somebody was when and this happened a handful of times. Uh, people took great offense to the idea that a freshman would be right at the top of the list because. He ain't never played no college basketball yet. Dude, the list is is defined pretty clearly. Who are going to be the top 101 college basketball players in the country this season? And though you could argue if you wanted to, Carson Edwards should be one and R.J. Barrett should be two or R.J. Barrett should be three. Like the idea that R.J. Barrett's at the top, there's nothing crazy about that. He's probably the most likely candidate to be the number one pick in the 2019 NBA draft. He destroyed Team USA a couple of summers ago, basically by himself. He gets to the rim whenever he wants. He's awesome. He's going to be awesome for Duke. And I don't know why any of you morons think it would be sensible for us to wait till November <laughs> 6th after he puts 27 points on Kentucky in the Champions Classic to acknowledge that R.J. Barrett is going to be awesome. Like, he is going to be awesome. Whether he finishes uh, as the National Player of the Year which I guess on some level suggests what number one ought to be. I, I don't know, but he's, barring injury or major surprise, going to be on the short list of, of most dominant uh, and effective and notable college basketball players uh, in the country this season. And I don't know why that's hard for some people to understand. I don't know. That That is an annual thing with this list, um, but whatever. At this point, I'm like you. I just shrug it off. I want to give Paris some credit here. Because as we were building out this list, man, he was dropping legitimate names that deserve to be on this list from some mid-major leagues. So, shouts to you. I'm not quite sure how you crowdsourced that or researched that, but that was a beautiful thing to see in our email chain as we built this out. Um, we try and do our best to inform the public on just the names to know, the guys to be excited about. And this year, there just happened to be a number of dudes in smaller leagues who are going to be freaking awesome. Dylan Windler at Belmont, Chris Clemens at Campbell is going to probably end up as a top 10, if not top 7 or 8 all-time scorer in the history of college basketball. He's a little guy. He's freaking awesome. We've got him in our top 40, and he deserves to be there. So keep a look on a, an eye out for that, because some of the guys you see on that list, their teams are going to make it into the NCAA tournament. And one of the great things about that first weekend in particular is a small school with some who's freaking awesome who goes off and even even if it's in a loss you say well that was just a great two hours of my life because i just watched this this smaller school really push it against a two three four five seed and that little dude or that that unknown guy uh in the post there he really took it to him so keep keep an eye out for that and um i, I will say this if you're curious duke kansas kentucky gonzaga Four programs, four players apiece on the list. They lead all schools. Gonzaga in particular, though, has four in the top 50. Um, they're getting a lot of pub, but I think it's going to, by the time we get to Maui, then people are going to realize just how good this team is and why it really sets up, in my opinion, to be even better than the team that lost in the title game to Carolina two years ago. I think what you meant to say was by the time GP gets to Maui. That's right. You're going to be out there, bud. Hey, can't wait to go to Maui. Can't wait to sleep on that plane. So tired. <laughs> I know. Hey man, this was a great this was a great chat with you. We we saw each other all week, but I knew we had a ton to get to. A long podcast. I hope our listeners appreciate it. Whether you're listening to it Friday over the weekend, just know we're gonna actually try and bump this up 
to twice a week before the season gets rolling with three times a week. I'm going to go into the trial early next week. I think the plan is, barring some significant news breaking before that, which we don't anticipate, we will podcast after we get a verdict in this trial. If we get to Wednesday or Thursday without a verdict, God help us. I don't think that'll be the case, but obviously we're going to play that by ear and see how things unfold in downtown Manhattan. So you can expect two Ion College Basketball podcasts next week, two the following week, and then once the season gets going, we're going to be back on that three-per-week schedule. So shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle, the legend, shouts to Larnell. Remember to subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rated favorably, five stars and nice comments. Please go do that for us. It does help, and our bosses are impressed by it. We had meetings down in Fort Lauderdale. We mentioned that uh, with our bosses, and um, the, the, the response to the podcast um, in general, but especially over the past year, has been uh, incredible. And uh, it's not lost on on the people who employ us. And so thank you for uh, making us uh, impress them and continue to do so if you're so kind. Like I said, we're going to talk to you again next week. Till then, take care.